know if I'm going to die. I have small children. You know, am I going to be able to walk again? Oh, and you're laughing at me. We're meant to write the story of happiness for ourselves and, and go toward that light. I don't think I ever want to think about sex anymore. <laughs> of course I do. Welcome to See a Therapist, where we're interviewing therapists, coaches, helpers, and healers to get to the heart of the meaningful work they're doing. I'm your host, Jesse Kaufman. Today, I am delighted to welcome Michelle Liska, a uh, sexual health therapist in Michigan. Uh, welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Can you start us off with um, introducing yourself? Yeah, for sure. I am Michelle Liska, and I'm a clinical social worker in private mental health practice in Hillsdale, Michigan, and I do have an office location in Jackson, Michigan as well. And as you said, I'm also a sex therapist. That's great. Thank you. Can you can you describe your practice? Like what, what kind of offerings you you have available at this time? Yes. Um, so I've been in private mental health practice since about 2004. Um, I was doing that um, part time because I was at that time running a nonprofit in Jackson, Michigan, and I did that for about eight years. But I kept uh, side practice of mental health practice for about well all of that time since then. I see individuals primarily. Um, I also see couples, especially do a lot of couples work with regard to sexual health therapy. And I also enjoy working with folks who are struggling with anxiety and anxiety-related disorders. So is, um, is uh, therapy, sexual health therapy, and, and uh, individual and couples therapy, uh, it sounds like your primary offering, are there any other services that you that you provide? Yeah. So in my practice, I also do what's called auricular acupuncture, which focuses on your ears. And it uh, was originally developed for uh, detox from substance use, but it also has benefits for relief from anxiety and other distresses. Um, I am trained in something called personal action toward health, which helps people understand how to manage chronic health conditions, whether that's mental health or physical health. I've been trained in something called HungerWise, which is an intuitive eating program for people who are struggling with their relationship with their body and food. Um, and I also do what's, um, I do guardianship assessments. So an older adult who might be um, struggling with dementia or cognitive changes who might need a guardian, I will do the mental health assessment for them, as well as developmentally disabled um, adolescents who are now going to be 18 or older and they might still need a guardian. So I provide that service. You have, you, you have some really comprehensive offerings. That's great. Michelle. Yeah. And I actually took some training. I haven't finished yet, um, to also be an end of life doula. So that's been interesting too, to take a look at that. Obviously we, we know each other. We've known each other for some years and I'll, and I'll, uh, say that here. Um, and I've always been impressed with your commitment and interest in continuing to learn and grow and explore new ways to serve and um, help people in, in different stages of their life. Thank you. Yeah, I am just always excited to learn new things. And I don't see myself slowing that down for the rest of my career. I just really enjoy learning new things. I'm very curious. Uh, and that's a part that I bring into therapy. I'm very curious about how our mind works, um, and how we can actually take care of our mind and actually change how our mind is working and change the story of who we are. 
that's a big part of what I strive to assist clients with is how you can actually, through your life, you can change the story of you. It doesn't have to be um, written in stone as we think it is. We can actually change the story of who we are. And that is um, also what I'm very curious about helping people with. Yeah, because that kind of involves both. There's a curiosity to what has the story been thus far, and then, and which can have its own kind of fear and uh, pain mm-hmm. related to it. Yeah. But then also the, the the dangerous and scary curiosity of what is your story in the future, right? Like where where what what will you write? Yeah, it's always very interesting to work with clients, and when they get to the point in therapy where they're kind of betwixt and between. I love that space where what I mean by that is they really have lost the ability to go back to quote unquote business as usual with how they have been uh, interacting in their life and that we have worked in our therapeutic relationship toward making changes. And then they find that they, again, can no longer go back to business as usual, but they're not yet sure exactly where they're going to land but it's so exciting to be with individuals uh, and couples when they are in that, in the, in the crux of that process. It's really, it's very exciting. So I, um, I'm thinking about uh, sexual health therapy might be a new, um, new term, new idea, new concept for some folks. Can you talk a little bit about um, what engaging with uh, sexual health therapy looks like for folks sure. and, why, and why they might seek that out? Sure. Really, sexual health therapy is not a whole heck of a lot different than regular therapy, um, but we're focusing on talking about sexual issues. So someone might come in to me for an, a myriad of sexual health concerns that they have. Um, and uh, I really do feel like it's often that they are really struggling with embarrassment, shame, haven't really talked about uh, their sexual health and and the issues that they have been grappling with. And often it feels like they have just absolutely been struggling with those often alone, even if they've been in the context of a couple um, or, you know, in a polyamorous relationship, that it really becomes um, very difficult for people, it seems, to feel comfortable talking about their sexual self. So people come in with a myriad of issues. Um, I have couples that come in because there's been an extra relationship that has occurred that maybe one of the partners didn't know about. And so now they're dealing with a lot of really strong and difficult emotions and feelings and maybe coming in wanting to continue to uh, be in their marriage or in that relationship with each other and trying to navigate into a new uh, iteration of their relationship. I have many individuals who are um, somewhere, you know, in the spectrum of LGBTQIA um, and helping them navigate coming out, navigate their sexuality. Um, I work with a lot of trans individuals, people who are considering um, or are wanting to transition their gender. Um, I've worked with couples where one person in the couple relationship is transitioning. And that's been very um, thrilling and enlightening and very, very interesting work for me. 
Um, I work with individuals who have difficulties with sexual functioning. Um, that could be due to chronic health issues, surgeries, um, all sorts of things. Um, difficulties with libido, difficulties with their faith and how they are wanting to or interested in exploring their sexual self, but it, uh, feeling like it's not interfacing with their faith. And so we talk a lot about that. Um, so just a myriad of sexual health concerns that people come in and I'm often hearing, you know, I've never talked to anybody about this. I don't know. I didn't know who to talk about with this. And again, like I said earlier, a lot of shame issues, embarrassment, and often just really wanting to know, quote unquote, what's normal. What, you know, is what I'm thinking, is what, my, is what I'm desiring, is what I'm doing normal? And so a lot of the work is really helping that client be able to talk about their sexual self um, and normalize it and reduce shame. I find myself thinking about therapists and a, and a generalist, right? Like a generalist therapist, right? And, and um, when clients are uh, reaching out to a therapist, feeling maybe unsure of what they can talk about, what they can and cannot share, disclose, work on. And, um, and <laughs> we previously have, have worked together. And so I, um, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about times when I've been in a room with you and a lot of other clinicians and, uh, there might be a case consultation going on and you're saying, you know, well, masturbation is healthy. Like, have they, have they tried, you know, what, what are they doing in terms of masturbation? And you feel the, you feel the room <laughs> like, <gasps> Yeah. yeah, almost like everyone's been caught or something. <laughs> yeah, it's a and, yeah, it's a collective and, gasp. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, there's a collective gasp and um and maybe almost like you know, maybe the shame the the perceived, you know, cultural shame related to everyone's their own sexual health and their own sexual stories and um maybe not feeling particularly well equipped to talk about that yeah. in a way that um is supportive of a client. Right. So, I mean, I, that's been my, my experience in observing you, you being the person in the room who says, let's talk about it. Right. You know, can you talk a little bit about your experience of that? Absolutely. Yes. I, it, it, it's kind of been somewhat surprising to me that therapists themselves also, but we're all humans doing this work, um, also have difficulty knowing how to talk to their clients about their sexual health. As therapists, we'll talk about anything. We'll even ask questions about, you know, have you had suicidal thoughts? Have you attempted suicide? Have you threatened suicide? You know, we're, we're, most of us are very well equipped and ready to have that conversation that the lay person might not be comfortable having at all. However, when it comes to sexual health, there's a lot of difficulty um, in therapy and for therapists to know how to ask questions to even feel comfortable themselves talking about that topic. So yes, things like self-sexing, masturbation, um, pornography, for sure. Um, any kind of, you know, non-heteronormative or, you know, monogamous sex, something that's not vanilla sex is very difficult, I think, for uh, people, but therapists too, to talk about with clients. So part of my training that I'll talk about real briefly, um, I was in a program at the University of Michigan 
to uh, be trained to become a sexual health therapist, and I have now completed my 50 hours of supervision beyond that, and I'm ready to apply for my national certification. But part of that training at the University of Michigan, and it's, it's part of your training if you're going to be nationally certified, is something called sexual attitude reassessment. So we spent an entire weekend um, at the University of Michigan viewing all sorts of different uh, videos. And it, the purpose of the whole weekend was we were told over and over that it's to get to our uncomfortable point, to actually get triggered as therapists in the room um, so that we knew where those points were for us. And then we would take breaks in between all of the presentation to discuss with our table mates about how we viewed or how we felt about what we just viewed or you know, what we just read or what was just presented. And there absolutely were points for pretty much everyone in the room where you came up against that point um, where it was a difficult um, discussion to have or difficult video that we watched. Um, and again, it was purposeful to get to that point because you're going to have people in your office that have these issues and you need to know where those spots are for you to be able to refer out or look at that, you know, sexual attitude yourself and reassess it. So it was a, it was a very first weekend of the training and it was exhausting. <laughs> and, and I came, I came away from there. I was staying with some friends um, near campus and when I got back to their house in the evening, uh, my friend came up and said, are you okay? And I said, I don't think I ever want to think about sex anymore. <laughs> of course I do. But it was very exhausting and it was really interesting, but it was a lot to take in. And it did for sure get me to a point of knowing where some of the difficult points at that part, you know, at that part of my, my unfolding were. And that actually that weekend helped me get clear about some of my sexual health and my, my sexuality. And I've grown from there. Yeah. There, how can you, I mean, the question comes to mind, how can you be a safe harbor for someone who feels, um, you know, uh, buffeted about by, by the storm, both of in their own life, mm -hmm. but also cultural like, as you mentioned before, cultural shame and, and messaging and, yeah. um, and, and so like you can't be that safe and secure place unless you've done your own work, unless you've absolutely, been, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that frankly triggered me, um, is that we watched a video about a woman who was having a consultation with a plastic surgeon, um, and she was a middle Eastern woman. I don't remember which country she was from but she was consulting with the surgeon to uh, have her hymen replaced because she had had premarital sex. And she was saying in the video that, you know, you don't understand, my family will be killed when I am married off, when it's found out that I am not a virgin because I no longer have an intact hymen. I was frustrated and furious about that because for me, um, I worked in the domestic violence field during the second wave of feminism, and I felt really strongly about that and that why should she have to have her hymen replaced? But when she said that in the video that you, you don't really understand, she was saying this to the physician, 
that my family will be killed. I was realizing like I'm coming from my feminist American culture, you know, viewpoint, and I really needed to be needed to be more aware of, you know, further aware of cultural issues, and not just coming from the lens of, you know, being in a being a white woman in America. Wow, I I appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that and the, and the your candor. Um, yeah, that that. Uh, thanks for that, Michelle. I um, because th- there is this. You you said in in our unfolding, right? Who we are as people and how we unfold, and 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 that influences the care that we bring. Um, <clears throat> which kind of has me curious about how you know how did can you can you share the story of how you decided to become a therapist? Yeah, that's a long time ago. <laughs> so we're talking clear back in undergrad. So this was I'm going to date myself here. So this was in. Uh, my undergrad was 1986 through 90. I actually attended um, Hillsdale College in Hillsdale, Michigan. And my tagline with that is usually that I, I personally don't align with Hillsdale College uh, as far as their political stance. But I will say that the education, the liberal arts education I received there was phenomenal. It was very rigorous. It was phenomenal. And it still to this day does help me kind of connect dots when I'm working with clients uh, in ways of understanding the classics and understanding history. Um, But my journey started there. Um, At the time I was at Hillsdale College, I was a non-traditional student. I had two children, I was married. And um, then uh, soon in in my college career, I became divorced. And so I thought I really need to make money. I was really like, I, I was scared financially. And so I would put myself on this uh, business track. It just didn't resonate. And so I decided then that I thought I would be an attorney because at that point I thought, well, I've been through a lot in my life already. And I think that that will be a way that I can use what I've been through and use my talents and my brain and took a mock LSAT and failed it miserably. (laughs) And so then I just said, okay, what next? Um, so actually, I had a friend at the time who um, was on the track it, it, to become a social worker, and so I kind of talked with her. So some of the things that also fed into that is that I was a, a teen mom. I uh, had a child at 18, and so I had that experience. Uh, quickly after that, before my son at that time was two, he was diagnosed with cancer, He's fine now. He's 38 and he's fine, but it was a harrowing experience. It was one of the most difficult mental health experiences of my life. I got very close to what I think would have been, quote unquote, a nervous breakdown, you know, just a really big breakdown because of his health and not knowing for a few weeks what was going to happen. Um, at that time, my marriage was violent and... Um, Shortly after that, I had to leave that marriage, escape that marriage to be safe and found myself in poverty with children um, and actually on public assistance for four years. So, so those things all really kind of directed me toward, well, what is all this happening for? And I, I tend to be a person to connect dots, like I was saying earlier. Like, what is this telling me? What is this, you know, informing me here? What, what can, I, can I do something with this? 
And I really do feel like those early experiences that happened before I, probably I was 25 or so um, really led me to have the ability to understand um, and translate some of those things I'd been through when I'm working with clients. I've also put myself in a lot of therapy, which I think for me has been crucial. I do think it's important for therapists to be in therapy. And again, I don't think people have to necessarily be in eight years of therapy like I was, but that was important for me. And I learned a lot about what it means to sit over in the therapy chair and be engaging in therapy and turning over rocks and dusting things up and it's exhausting. And I would literally go home from therapy and need to take naps. I couldn't do anything the rest of the day. Um, but how, again, where I found myself again, between, like I said earlier, between, I couldn't do business as usual anymore. And then I knew I was moving to something new, but that betwixt and between part is, it's, it can be just so unsettling and thrilling at the same time. Cause you know, you're getting somewhere and you know that you are moving away from the stuff that didn't work, but it is frightening and it's so discombobulating, um, but again, exciting and thrilling. So that part I bring to my work as a therapist, and um, that part's really important to me to remember what that's like to sit over there in that other chair. Another thing that had happened to me after even all of that is that I was out running one day, and I ended up getting hit by a vehicle. Vehicle. And I was in intensive care. I didn't know what had happened to me because I was actually in a drug-induced coma for a few weeks until they could do surgery. And at that point in time, it was kind of like another reminder, like, okay, uncle, I, got, I think I got the message, you know? Um, but I did have, whether it was, you know, drug-induced or, you know, some sort of uh, epiphany insight, um, it was this piece of uh, not exactly knowing yet what had happened to me, um, but having some floating in of consciousness and hearing bits and pieces. Um, so I kind of gathered that I'd been in an accident. And so I had this um, vision that I was in this forest that was really foggy um, and that there was this teenage, and I equated it to an angel, but a teenage boy who was laughing at me. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, I just, I don't know if I'm going to die. I have small children, you know, am I going to be able to walk again? Oh, and you're laughing at me. And I was so anxious. And the message I got was from this angel or this teen, it just irked me. It was a teenage boy. I'm like, what the fuck? But, you know, it just, the message I got was that, you know, we're all, we're all supposed to be happy, whatever that takes. And so it was another reminder for me that, Yes, we're, we're meant to write the story of happiness for ourselves and, and go toward that light. Go toward the light that makes our hearts sing, that resonates with us, that we live fully in our body. That's another piece that I talk about with clients. Where do you live in your body? Do you live you know, in your head? Do you live maybe a little bit into your torso? Do you live all the way out to the tips of your fingers, tips of your toes? That's what I strive to help people to do. And that's the part where they're betwixt and between. I know they're going to land over where they're living fully in their body. And that means just living fully of whatever their life is, is for them. 
Um, so that was another reminder at that point in my life, like, oh, yes, you know, striving toward that. And so I left and got, obviously, I'm well and went to grad school and got my master's in social work the year after that accident. When you talk about the <laughs> the fucking teenage boy uh-huh. <laughs> laughing and how that really kind of inspired you um, or, or, you know, how you integrated that into your understanding is like, I, I can be happy, right? Uh-huh. Like we, we get to seek that. We get to follow through on our desires to get to the, that place of, of contentment mm-hmm. or, or happiness. And I, um, as I was thinking about that, I thought, Ooh, what a scary thing for a client who's bringing a sexual health concern, because there is, I think a lot of people fear their desires and, and, and fear following through on them in some way. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you how how do you approach clients when you see that moment where they where they are they're the thing that they're scared to say mm-hmm. but that it's connected to their desire? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, often I start out by saying, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. You're probably not going to see anything that's going to shock me. Um, and and I often will say, and, and you don't know, I have any clue about my sexual health, <laughs> so you don't know. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's sitting with, it's, you know, therapeutic tools of sitting with and, you know, saying you don't have to disclose anything right now that you're not, you know, comfortable with, but, you know, part of doing therapy is, is stretching and saying some things that you might feel uncomfortable talking about in the presence of someone else, but in the presence of a therapist who can bear witness. And this, this is true whether or not it's sexual health or, you know, general mental health practice. Someone who can bear witness to your pain, to your embarrassment, can look at this thing together. Um, and I'm going to go off a little bit of a tangent here, but one of the things that, whether it's sexual health or whether it's, you know, again, just general mental health practice, the vision I will share with clients or the, the metaphor I use is I often see myself as kind of like um, Star Trek, like I'm getting beamed into their life and I'm like, follow them on the path. I'm just trying to get used to the whole path. Like, where are we? What's this look like? What, where did we beam into? And we're just marching along and kind of behind them and they're marching along on their path. And I go, Hey, wait, 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 what's this on the side here? And they're like, Oh, that's, that's a patch of nettles. Don't touch it because they'll, they'll give you a rash and you'll be really itchy. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I know that about nettles, but Nettles can actually be made into tea and we can actually fry up the greens and so we can have food here. And they're like, yeah, 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 but don't touch the nettles. I'm like, okay, but I'm going to note the nettles over here. So I'm going to note that this thing has happened in your life and maybe, you know, you have been um, able to be resourceful in your life and you have found a way to be resilient in your life, but we're going to note this or we can use this thing that's happened to you, or maybe you've seen it only as a negative, uh, only as a bad thing. But I'm going to note that that's here. And we're marching along in the path, and I get to know their world a little bit more. And then I'm walking alongside, and then we get to some fork in the road. And I sit down with them, and like, you can choose. But, you know, if we are sitting here because we're hungry and we're not sure which way to go, we can eat those nettles back there because we can use what you've learned before. 
we can use that thing that you think was really horrible before and you got through that and you have strengths and you have resilience. So I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but when somebody is coming in with real difficulties about what they are really desiring sexually, again, it really is reducing the shame and just going along with them of like, you know, that your sexual, your sexual being is yours to explore and to find pleasure in and to celebrate as, as much as you can in life. I mean, um, Sally Foley, who ran the program at the University of Michigan, was off to say, and we had t-shirts made that said, if you talk about sex, you will change the world. And I think that's very true. If you talk about sex with clients, you will change their world because you are, again, in, a, I think, a larger way than you are necessarily maybe in private mental health practice or in general mental health practice, you're really bearing witness and, and saying it's okay and that's great. Let's celebrate that part of you. So I'm thinking uh, about the power of that bearing witness and I'm also reconciling the story you shared about how you became a therapist. And so now I have a real curiosity of like, well, can you describe the journey to, to deciding to specialize in sexual health? Yes. So I um, have created a bucket list of stuff I want to do with my career. I've had that for a long time. And I had, um, for a while, I was doing a lot of work when I actually ran the nonprofit Believe it or not, a focus of that nonprofit was uh, older adult substance abuse prevention. It was a substance abuse prevention agency, but one of the focus points we had was preventing substance abuse among the older adult population. So I was very interested in older adults. And I was looking at the University of Michigan, where I did my graduate work, which I was much more in alignment with their their political stance. Um, But they had a lot of continuing education programs, and one of them was to have a certificate in working with older adults. And then I saw when I looked at that, that they had a program for sexual health. And I was very interested. I'm like, that's interesting. And put that on my bucket list. Well, then it happened in 2015 for licensure, for my renewal of my license in Michigan, I needed a few more uh, continuing education credits. And so I got online and this was of course pre-pandemic. So all of it was still you know in person and signed up for, uh, a lecture uh, uh, for continuing education credits, and it was on sexual health, and it was provided by a company. I'd gone to some of their presentations before, and it, I didn't really like them, but I thought, well, it's about sex, so it's like piquing my interest, so I'll go, and I went to it, and unbeknownst to me at the time, the presenter was Barry McCarthy, who was a very well-known sexual health therapist and has written a lot of books, um, and I was fascinated by his presentation. I scribbled notes beyond notes. I mean, I had pages of notes that I had to come back and reorganize because I was just scribbling so fast of everything he was talking about and happened to have a couple of previous colleagues that were also attending this. And we went and had lunch and I said, oh my God, I have got to do that U of M continuing education program. And one of the other former colleagues had gone to the University of Michigan and she said she was interested too. She didn't end up doing it. So anyway, a year after that, I signed up to do the program. And it was also after my mother passed away. And in ways, I mean, I often talk about that, you know, 
our sexual health and being sexual, being a sexual being is so life affirming. And so, you know, it came on the throes of having lost my mother. And, you know, I don't know that that's exactly what's meant by that, you know, research to say that, you know, our sexuality is very life affirming. Um, but, you know, that was something that I just really felt compelled to do at that time. So again, it was a year long program and then another year and a half of supervision after that to make sure I was ready to become nationally certified. So I hear, I hear peaked interest. I hear curiosity. Um, was it, is it just following curiosity or is there some other aspect there that was like, cause I, I will admit I'm a, I'm a notoriously curious person, but that doesn't always lead to me following the path all the way through. <laughs> Um, well, I guess I'm, I like sex. I'm interested in sex. Um, so one, you know, that's, that's there. But I will say that I'm glad you asked that question because there were a couple of other touch points for me before I did um, sign up for the program. Um, I had a couple of clients at the agency that you and I uh, worked at together, um, and they both were females. Uh, one uh, was a female. This is, again, before I had any educational pieces for, the, for sexual health. One woman um, had come to me and she has, um, she has had had cancer and she actually has a genetic factor. It's called Lynch syndrome. So it's prevalent in her family. So barring something else, she knows that she will die from cancer because she will continue to have a recurrence of cancer. But in the context of her first uh, diagnosis of cancer, she had a hysterectomy. So we were in the context of a therapy session, and she happened to mention, throw out, you know, I really am not good about wearing my, uh, using my vaginal dilators. And I said, what? what? What the heck are you talking about? So she was the one having to educate me about vaginal dilators and the importance of those once you've had a hysterectomy or any kind of, um, you know, vaginal surgery or any kind of, you know, surgery of that sort, that we have atrophy. I mean... Think about it. If you have any kind of major surgery, you're going to need physical therapy afterward. So I, I was fascinated. I'm like, why have I never heard about this? Why is this something that doctors routinely talk about? I had never heard of it. So she was the one educating me about it. And then right around the same time, I had another female client who was diagnosed with uterine cancer, um, didn't have a complete hysterectomy, um, but... Uh, had not been told about vaginal dilators and so came to me after um, being able to have intercourse again and was distraught beyond belief because had so much pain with that first time having intercourse after the hysterectomy and was so distraught because for her, um, her sexuality was very important and she had been adamant with her surgeon talking, you know, about what's going to happen to me and my sexuality and my sexual response, you know, having this hysterectomy and was concerned about having her cervix removed or not because of it being part of her sexuality. So I didn't know at that time that there are things like physical, physical floor, um, physical therapists, that there are pelvic floor physical therapists out there. And I know that now, but I didn't know that then to help this client be able to you know, have some intervention so that maybe she wouldn't have had that level of pain because that gets pain, you know, with intercourse or with penetrative sex gets so psychologically connected and imprinted 
And then, of course, we're bracing up and creating more pain if we're anticipating pain when we're going to have any kind of penetrative sex. But again, I didn't know all of that then, but I'm like, I got to fucking learn more. I, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand why there isn't more information out there. I don't understand why, what, 30 years into my career as a therapist that I don't know more about sexual health. And so that were, those were very compelling pieces that led me to sign up for the program. What a gift to your clients that you were allowed, you, you were a willing to admit what you did not know and, um, willing to follow through. I mean, yes, you had your own curiosity, but it kind of, I, what I hear is like a pairing up with the, the passion of wanting to be of support to others, wanting to, um, uh, and not just support, but like empower, right? Like to, to, uh, walk with them through the, the challenges and, and some of the shame they might experience mm -hmm. into a place where they can feel more um, present in their body, where they can return to desire and enjoyment and connection, um, both with themselves and, and with others. And yeah. so, um, and pleasure. And I guess I will add, I've just popped into my head as you were speaking that another client that did happen again before I took the program was a male client who'd had, who had had uh, prostate cancer. And I don't remember, frankly, the technical term for it, but it had had the prostate frozen and they could scrape the cancer out and was describing to me, he was in his 70s, but I don't think he would mind me saying this. He was Jewish and very curious himself. And I don't, I am saying that because I, my experience is that when I work with Jewish clients, they're very curious and they want to talk a lot about, you know, things that, that, you know, that most of us don't want to talk about, which I love. <laughs> So I don't know if that's stereotyping, stereotyping or, or what, but he was very curious about sex and he very was very open with me talking about his sexuality and was describing to me what I know now is a retrograde uh, orgasm. He was describing to me a, an orgasm that felt like it was internal. And he, as he described it in great detail, I said, that really sounds like how I have an orgasm. I didn't know again at the time that this is a thing that can happen. Um, so again, it was another thing like, wow, what is happening? And I'm relying on, again, my clients with their, you know, their knowledge base, but limited knowledge base to try and explain to me these things that they were not educated about. And so again, it was just like, what is happening that I, this far into my career, that I don't ask routinely my clients about their sexual health, that we're not talking about this very often, and that unless I'm asking these questions, or creating an environment for clients to talk, we're not talking about this, and I don't know. I don't know how to, I just don't know enough about human sexuality to feel like I'm gonna do good therapy with them. Well, I um, thank you for following through on the invitation to to learn more and, and to continue to be of, of service to people. Um, <clears throat> So I, you know, as I was preparing for our conversation, I w was on your website and you have this, uh, Lila Watson quote that I, I'm going to share, um, cause I'd be interested in hearing you talk about what it means to you. So the, the quote is, if you have come to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Yes. I love that quote because I don't see myself as a therapist. Um, you know, we call this the, the helping field. 
you know, that we're in the helping field. I don't see myself as helping clients because to me that ends up feeling like I have, I'm in the expertise role to help you, um, that you need help with something. I see my role as I was kind of describing my metaphor of beaming into someone's life, walking alongside. Yes, I have had, as I said earlier in our interview, some experiences in my life and a lot of therapy and, and training um, to have some ability to help people look at things in different facets and turn it around in a kaleidoscope and just turn the kaleidoscope a little bit more and that they can turn the kaleidoscope. But that quote is very important to me because I see, the, see it as a reflection of our interconnectedness and that I am human and I'm working with you as another human being and we're trying in this, in this therapy room, in this therapy setting to connect with each other and again, normalize and realize the humanness of each of us and that um, it's not about me, you know, telling you what you should be doing, shitting on you, that what you should be doing. Um, just help, helping others to me just has that level of I'm in the role to tell you what to do to help you. And I don't see it as that. I see it more that we're interconnected and I'm bound up with um, your success and your connection to life as much as you are with mine. And so that's why that quote is very important to me. So for people who are hearing this conversation, hearing you talk about your work and think, oh my goodness, I would love to have Michelle beam in and walk with me. <laughs> what, um, do you have an invitation that you'd like to, to extend to them in a way that they could connect with you? Absolutely. So I would say, and again, going back to, I think part of our initial conversation today that I, I, therapy works, number one. Therapy absolutely works. I think uh, that it's very important that you, if you are considering therapy, to make sure, if it's the first time that you're engaged in therapy, or the 10th time, frankly, that you make sure that you are finding someone that you feel you resonate with. That's really important. Um, I tell clients in the first, first session, you know, I've, I'm looking so forward to working with you, but it absolutely will not be taken personally at all if you come in and say, I don't think this is a good fit um, because that's important to, to build that relationship. Um, and again, as I, I, just, I just know therapy works and that we can change the story as I was talking earlier. We don't have to stay in the rut of what we think has been the story of us or what we think others think the story of us is. We can change that story and we can create a world and a life, uh, sexual health, mental health, brain health, that is a life absolutely worth living and thriving in and enjoying and being thrilled by. So, you know, for clients to get a hold of me, I think we're going to have a link at the end of this video, but my website is a great way, and that's michellelliscatherapy.com. There's a lot of uh, more information on my website, and there's a contact uh, form on there as well to reach me. Oh, well, I feel so grateful for this conversation with you, Michelle. I, um, I, I both am, um, feel honored by your, uh, presence and your candor and your vulnerability and your, um, 
passion for the work that you do and to and to be the one in the room when when something like that is you know people are embarrassed to talk about can be the one who stands tall in that and says well no i we need to talk about masturbation and this is helpful to this person right um just the just the uh the beacon that that is for for people and and um also for you know the, the therapy field so thank you thank you so much thank you very much i've enjoyed talking with you jesse here closing out this episode with a couple quick words first i want to express some sincere gratitude that you spent this time and listened to us talk and while likes and subscribes are helpful i want to encourage you to take a different kind of action is something from today's episode, something that the guests talked about, resonated with you or as you feeling curious about working with them, I want to encourage you to reach out and make contact. Or if this brought someone else to mind who might benefit, feel free to pass this episode along to them. Thanks again for listening and thanks to Mike Hensel for editing this episode. And until next time, from my heart to yours, take good care of yourself.